I suppose that we could do it. So welcome, everybody, to the Enemy Slime Podcast. This is episode number 75. It's already not working the way it should. I am Jared. Is this our theme? Is that what we're doing now? Oh, okay. That's the theme. So with me, I have theme song J. Joseph Jr. Hello. We have Doug Wilson. My elbow hurts. We have Mr. Michael Mahoney. Doug's elbow hurts. And Lucio is in Brazil. There's nothing He's never coming I'm, back. I didn't. I, say, I didn't make up a joke. Will, right? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't make up a joke for that. So just, uh, I guess. Hugh, 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 Hugh. Insert Michael. Don't say that. That's racist. Of your choosing. I'm sorry. I'm just super racist. Um, let's just jump right into shit, shall we? Yeah. So actually, let's lead off with uh, this email that we just got because that's a good place to start. Well, we have two from him. We do, but let's save the other one for the end, and we'll do this one for the beginning. And I say that just because this prefaces what we were going to talk about in news anyway. Right. Um, but our good friend Tycho, who has emailed us before, um, sent us an email, and he asked, uh, could you guys explain the Steam and mod sales controversy for someone who doesn't get what the problem is, but explain it in a fun way, maybe with lots of innuendo or by mocking Shakespeare or something? I don't think... Okay, I got it. I got it. I got the innuendo. This is the last time we say Shakespeare I'm, on this podcast, probably. I'm, 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 yeah, I've got the, I've got I was the innuendo. to say that I don't know. If, 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 um, it, so think of it like this. It's if it's a Valve, if, if Gabe, if Gabe Newell saw you on the street and then he bent you over and fucked you in the ass. That's not even innuendo. <laughs> That's just vulgarity. Steam is like Romeo, and mods are like Mercutio. Mm. And, and and charging and then, for them. And then, and then, Ro- and then Romeo rapes how Mercutio. And then <laughs> I, how about how about how about um 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 Steam is Macbeth. Um and then uh, uh, mod mod users are, God, what's the name of the skull? Was it Hodor? Yorick. Oh, the Steam user, the Steam users Yorick. are Hodor. Yorick. Yorick. The skull. <laughs> so so so, so Macbeth is Steam, and Yorick is the skull, and um, Macbeth skull. skull fucks the skull. Okay. Okay, so I feel like I understand this less. So the mod users are an allegory for <laughs> so, Dave Newell's regret. All right. Here's here's the yes. rundown. Ah. Steam's been doing this thing for a while with their first party games where they would take player made content and allow them to sell it on the Steam Workshop. Specifically with like Team Fortress, you could design a hat. And as we all know, Team Fortress is about hats. Um, and the process worked so well and was and was making them so many dollars that they went to Bethesda and they said, hey, your game is really popular and people like to make mods for it, that game being Skyrim. And they said, let's let all these hardworking mod makers uh, get some return on the on the investment of their time. You know, let's let's yeah, let's give yeah, them. Like, like, that was let's, that was let's, definitely. Let's, them, right, let's make sure that they get. It's it's like this, right? Let's say um, you're a worker building a house, and you build the house, and the guy who commissioned the house said, "Hey, you said, hey, you did such great work building this house. I'm going to let you." rent out a room in this house and he gives you the closet that's your entire space you're not allowed to leave the fucking closet <laughs> so i guess let's yeah let's let's run through the problems here so the way that the process works is um or worked rather is you would put a mod on steam that you had made 
And um, you, normally you'd put it on the workshop for free, but now you would have the option of putting it on for uh, charge uh, money. And so you could put it on the workshop and set whatever price you want. And then the split was 75% goes to Bethesda and Steam. 25% goes to you. Um, some could argue that having some money is better than having no money. Um, and that split, it's worth mentioning, was de, uh, defined by Bethesda. Um, so it, it could have gone differently. It wasn't. Valve was very clear that they were not the ones who set that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't approve of it or or, or think that was a fair price. <clears throat> um, so we we could start there. The first problem that people saw is why would I, um, you know, charge money for this when you know I, I mean, I, I it just it feels wrong to make the other guys so much money while I get so little. I'd rather just have no money and know that they have no money as well. So that would be the first thing. Um, because that split is so uneven, a lot of people were saying that um, it kind of incentivized them to, rather than make like a giant big mod with a bunch of quests on it and charge like, say, $30 for it, it would be more lucrative to make 20 little shit mods uh, that are, you know, like like just armor pieces or a sword or horse genitals, which did wind up on there at some point. Um, and, and just make a bunch of little tiny items and charge smaller dollar amounts for it because then you could eventually make that add up to some kind of reasonable uh, amount of money. The, the next problem, and stop me if I miss one, is if you put a mod up on the system, a lot of these mods require other mods in order for them to work. So say someone made a mod that like tweaked the AI and then you built off of that and and did something else. And we had that exact scenario where someone put a mod up that had phishing in the game and uh, it used a mod that another user had created and that user did not want it being used or sold for profit. They weren't planning on selling it for profit. They were just kind of uh, philosophically against the entire idea. And so they asked that it be pulled down and then Valve had to pull it down and then a bunch of other copyright claims, maybe false, maybe not, started getting filed. Oh, my God, this isn't funny at all. And it just uh, it just kind of creates an ongoing problem. It, it was something that, for starters, they weren't they weren't set up to deal with. Now, there's a really popular site for mod mods called Nexus, and they don't just do Skyrim; they do any game. But they have kind of they a, do they do they do primarily Bethesda. Yeah, I would say that they specialize there. Um, but anyway, they were they had concerns of their own that this model would cause people to take their mods off of their site where they were free and put them on Steam Workshop where they could charge money for them instead of before where you could list the site or list your mod on both sites because what did it matter? You weren't getting money anyway. Oh, oh so I, I have to, I have anyone over this one. So, uh, so Nexus is a nerdy Jewish guy and uh, the mods are like this hot, mixed race red bone wife um and then and then valve and steam are the big black dude that cuckolds them <laughs> sure <laughs> follows yeah i mean that that all works it definitely helped me understand the situation lucio had a lot of concerns in relation to service and i feel like most of those are answered already or or just implied um so their their method here is if you download the mod which can generally break games and cause problems. If you download the mod and you uninstall it within 24 hours, you get a refund. 
kind of like apps on an app store for iOS or, or Android. Um, is that how iOS works? I think it doesn't matter. Um, well, it kind of kind of does because um, it is important. The more I think it, about it, yeah, it kind of yeah. does matter. Well, but we can we can talk about the iOS thing a little later. I think. I think I think Lucio's issue is actually like, well, let's say Bethesda updates their game and then breaks a bunch of mods you already bought. Right, right. And then the mod maker's like, mm, I don't give a shit. Well, and just the the concept of service in general. Um, you know, what if you install it and it doesn't work? Like that sucks that you paid for it, and and it's not necessarily something where it might not work at once. You know, a mod could cause a memory leak or something like that, and you don't even notice it until you have a corrupt save six months later. And there's no recourse for that. That's just always been the risk of like, oh, if you're going to have fun with this extra content, then that's what comes with it. But you it's never had to pay for it. Before. It's a lot harder has, to swallow that when you have to pay for on it. All of its products always been, we don't give a shit if it doesn't work for you. I mean, to, they they definitely are resistant to giving out refunds and things like that. Like the game has to be proven, you know, really beyond a shadow of a doubt to be, um, a you know, unplayable mess. I mean, generally, I've had pretty good experiences with their customer service, but every time I have, they've always been very sure to warn me. They're like, "This is the only time." Um, mm. So, like, I've returned a game to them at some point or something, and and they let me know like this is a one time thing. Um, so they're they're really clear that like it's not something that they want to do, <clears throat> and I mean that's that's part of how they do so well as a company. I think is they're really light on service. You know they don't have a a huge amount of technical support staff or anything like that. I mean I'm sure they have people, but uh, it, everything's done by email. Like there's no hotline to call Valve or anything like that. So I think that that lets them be a little more lightweight, but also makes them ill positioned to support stuff like this. So I think I think you know the the I the reason uh, Apple's App Store and iOS comes into this is because the Apple App Store makes about um, you know the, the the split with the Apple is seventy percent to the creators, um, and I think I I think Bethesda's argument as to why or Val's argument whoever the fuck it was their argument as to why they get seventy five percent is because well we're allowing you to create content for our stuff we own the copyright. And you should be thankful you get 25% at all. Um, you know, which is kind of like a, a shitty thing I, to do, I think, because depending on... And I think this goes back to the point of it only encourages making these smaller, crappier mods. Um, because if you're just... I've, I've seen, I've seen like some super detailed mods like uh, False Scar and Moonpath that are like just... It's just original assets everywhere, um, just stuff taken from the lore of Skyrim and and just huge maps and locations you could explore and everything and all that kind of stuff. And then if you start making those mods for money, you're like, well, if I'm going to see so little about it, there's no reason for me to put in so much hard work uh, just to not turn a profit on it. So, I, you know, it's kind of like I, I think I think um, Forbes made a good observation in that. Valve and Bethesda were coming in and just not understanding how the community works and how um, uh, finances work. And it's a lot, it's very similar to Nintendo and how Nintendo, um, you know, tried to enforce all these YouTube policies to uh, kind of force revenue sharing and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just so, it's just so weird to me. That was actually going to be my question. Do you think Bethesda came into this and just, they weren't thinking about it? Or do you think they saw like a really sweet plum and they decided they were going to get all of them for themselves? I, I, I think I think you know I think that's actually an understatement that they that they recently did because I think the end of the story is that they 
actually did backtrack. There was so much. That, that was them who said, like, clearly we just didn't get it, right? We just didn't. They, we just didn't get it. And I think what they mean, you know, they say we didn't get it. I think what they mean is we didn't know you would be so mad. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like the heart is probably in the right place. Like if you listen to uh, like Gabe Newell talk about it and stuff like that, he. Um, you know, he, he makes a pretty good case for like, you know, why would we want to hurt the base that extend the life of this game? Like we, we, we wanted to try and reward them. And I do believe that deep down, that is what they wanted to do is try to reward these players who up until now couldn't be rewarded or these developers who couldn't be rewarded. <laughs> you think, you think, you think with a 25, 75 split, that's what they wanted to do deep down? Because I think that the <laughs> attitude is something is better than nothing. Um, and they should, if they really thought that, they should have had infrastructure in place to deal with all the other. They, they should have, they, yeah, they the should have had infrastructure split. in place. Oh yeah, and they could have like, instead of just oh, we'll just take the money. And, and, and yeah, you, they could, and they could have got, they could have gone with a much higher split. They could have gone like sixty forty. Sure, they you know they, they could have done a lot of stuff. And and give them a little credit because if you look at every like post that's been written about both from Bethesda and Valve about them recalling this setup, they they both are are very you know, acknowledging of like, man, we fucked that up pretty hard. Like these posts are, these, these posts know. are like, know. well, it's your fault. We can't have nice things. These posts are very much like, um, you know, contrition based and like, look, we, no, we, no, we I don't, obviously... I don't think, I don't think that's, I don't think that's fair. I think, I think, I think in their posts, I haven't seen Bethesda's answer yet, oh, but I've seen Valve's. So then Valve's, you don't know. But I, but I've seen Valve's and Valve's answer was very much, um, Okay, we kind of made a mistake, but we'll, we're probably going to return to this idea in the future. And not only that, but the defense that these companies have had of the system up until they decided to backtrack—it's like it's like some of the shit that some of the shittiest people on 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 Steam have pulled. Um, it's like you know, would would Daisy and all of them try to pull with like um, uh, censoring threads and and uh, you know. And making it look like, oh, we're the good guys, and you guys are the bad guys, and all of this. And their posts were like that all over. And even when Gabe Newell came, he was like, uh, you know, his thing wasn't apologetic at all. He he was it was, a, it was a hard defense of the system until everyone until finally they backed down. So I don't think you know I don't think it was altruistic at all. I think they got I think I think they tried to implement the shitty paywall. I think they got super defensive about it, and then they realized that you know there's so much backlash they weren't going to get away with it. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know. I'm, I'm of two minds on this particular subject. On one hand, yeah, if, if you put it, if you just lay it out there, say, like, you get 25% of everything you bring in for your mod, like, that sounds pretty shitty. At the same time, you know, part of me wants to say, like, it's it's still their product. Like, if there was no Bethesda, there'd be nothing to mod. They still are... Well, it- I, I think I think this is where I bought my point up. I think you know we come we're a very interesting community in that uh, we come from this RPG maker background, most of us. Um, and I think there are those. That's of how us we that made our like, millions. Well, no, no. But the point the point I'm getting at here is you know we all we, we knew our I think I think all of us were a little star eyed back then, and we're like, oh, we would like to make money off of this, but there's no way we can because it's illegal and Interbrain doesn't want to work with us and all this kind of stuff. But those of us that really wanted to make video games get paid for making video games went off and make video games that's what happened with jason brown and yeah, i think I, it was and, always and, more of a labor of love on my side but, like it was, yeah, I, I really but, wanted to have my own rpg exactly exactly and, and that's, then and i that's, realized like nobody wants to play this no 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 but that, i think that's exactly it i think that's why i did it too because i'm like i really want to have an rpg too and i really want to share in these rpgs and see what other stories people have to tell and right. my attitude is the same with mods like when i when i see a yes. mod for grand theft auto or something i'm like you know 
I really want to see this story in the Grand Theft Auto universe. I really want to see this story in the Skyrim universe. And I think the people modding these games are of the same exact mentality that if I want to make money off of video games, I'm going to learn to program video games. And that's exactly what happened with the mod called Moonpath. Moonpath is like a brilliant fucking mod that realizes um, this world elsewhere in the Skyrim, in the, in the uh, Tales of uh, the Elder Scrolls universe. And then this guy was like, you know what? I have a passion for video games and a passion for telling stories. I'm going to go off and I'm going to make this game. Um, Oberon's Court, it's called. And he went off and he made that game. So I think if you're of that mindset that I want to make money off of this, you're going to find another way to apply your skills to make money, knowing damn well that everything you did for that other community was kind of a hobby. Um, well, I don't, so, I don't you know, know about I, that. Like, but I, I mean, I do think, you know, modding, you have to go into it more like this is a labor of love or this is something that I want to to yeah. make for fun. But uh, I think, I think yeah. that's what a lot of it is. And, but, but you're right. This is this is where so like you can you can split the people in, who have issues with the service into like different groups. So like there's people who thought that the split for revenue wasn't fair. There's the people who thought that it certainly um, sounds shitty. You know, there, there's there's all this other stuff. But then there's the people who just philosophically like this isn't why I do this. And and I don't yeah. want a, a service that, you know, so I, I think I think. I think we jumped the gun on the story a little bit because we now know Valve and uh, Beth backtracked on the whole thing in the long run. But there was a lot of backlash. Like, the backlash for this was huge. There was a change.org petition, which usually doesn't change anything. But I think this petition was shooting for something like 50,000 signatures. Oh, it went well and past it got, that. It got, yeah, it got, it got well past double of the signatures that it wanted. Um, you know, a lot of the video gaming websites, you put it on it like this looks kind of sketchy. Um you know, of course, 4chan and Reddit and all of them got into the mix. But my favorite responses were from the modding community themselves, right? Uh, there is a YouTube series called uh, Skyrim Mods Weekly, right? And he, he just covered all of these mods that came out in, in response to the paid mods. So among the mods, among some of my favorites, like there's a ton of them that people actually did. So one of uh, my, my favorite ones was called Give Me Money for No Reason. And give me money for no reason is a um, is a girl who looks very well off. She's wearing like a royal crown and a, and a, and a robes, and she's sitting on top of a valve. Um, and all you do with this mod is you just give her money, and that's that's literally it. They have another one called immersive paywall, which as you enter, you know the the very first. The very first thing that you do in Skyrim is you're you're kind of uh, trucked into I forget the name of the town, but you kind of go into this town where you're about to get your head chopped off. Uh, but instead of going into this town now, all you see is Gabe Newell's giant face, and the horse and cart cannot get past that, um, and you can't do anything <laughs> to get past that in the mod. Um, yeah, and there's there's another one called a protest sign, no paying for mods, which is just a protest sign you go around and kill with a bunch of guards, and a few of them get more vitriolic from there. Um, but I, I I I do enjoy On that the internet. The, no, <laughs> I, I do enjoy that the modding community at least got a little creative in terms of how they were going to uh, uh, voice their displeasure over this. Well, I, I gotta say, this, I don't know all the mods weren't about too. this. I have I haven't followed it too much, but. <laughs> It does kind of seem to highlight the the internet's ability to collectively like take a benign issue and then turn it into outrage. At the same time, it's kind of funny to hear about people who have maybe came up with something a little more uh, a little more subtle about it. I mean, it, I mean, it's it's pretty great that you know people can organize and galvanize against this one thing 
um, when they're passionate enough. Now, if only we could get a little more passionate about things besides Skyrim, that would be yeah, awesome. I was gonna say it's just a little bit of a bummer <laughs> that like this. Even even like even like net neutrality, you know. Um, I mean, shit. There's just yeah, sure that too. <laughs> I I think so. Maybe the last thing, and this is all very dodgy at this point, but we may as well mention it. Um, the first mod that was taken down for a copyright issue um, it was because he had used content from another mod, essentially. Um, this guy was saying that Valve had approached him before the service went live and basically said, we are looking for you know a group of people to kind of be the pilots of this service and have their mods up on the store first, pre-approved, you know, so that on day one we're selling something. Because the mods do have to be approved. You couldn't just submit whatever you wanted and have it start making money. Um, they had to wait in a, a queue first. That's why you were never actually able to buy horse genitals. Um, so he did say... Those did look pretty hot. He does claim, and and again, this is just on a post on Reddit, and he's even deleted his own name from the post at this point. But it is it is pretty well regarded that this was indeed the person who it said it was. Um, so I mean, it, I would I would rate this as like maybe seventy percent credible, maybe even a little less. Who knows? But he said that. Um, uh, initially when they presented this idea to the modders, they called it a 25% revenue share. And they didn't specify which direction that went. And everybody had just kind of assumed, well, obviously they're not going to give me 25%. <laughs> and then it turned out they, they were indeed. He also mentions that he asked, he, he claims that he asked before he put the mod up whether or not it was going to be a problem that it uses content from someone else's uh, work. And the Valve officer replied and said, I'm not a lawyer, so this does not constitute legal advice. If you're unsure, you should contact a lawyer. Uh that said, I spoke with our lawyer, and having mod A depend on mod B is fine. It doesn't matter if mod A is for sale and mod B is free, or if mod A is free or mod B is for sale. So he basically claims that Valve gave him the go-ahead to put it up on the store, even though he didn't have permission from the person who made it. He also claims that the mod was never removed from the store by Valve. He claims that he did it when the creator said that he wasn't cool with, with it's, that. It's actually, it's actually a bit murkier than that, because... Um, I think I think this other person in question only owned parts of the mod. Like he was only responsible for certain assets. Mm -hmm. Like 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 I think a lot of the stories that go go on is that oh these mods were one hundred percent ripped off from someone else. Um, and I think that was true when maybe the case of one or two opportunists. But I think for the most part, there was a lot of murky waters as to who actually owned the mod. Because another thing about the mods is if you look at the, the credits list, there's actually a ton of credits for people that have supplied just like the different assets and the artwork and all this kind of stuff. And I think that's where the debate uh, came down to. I think I think he owned certain assets of this mod, while this guy who went ahead and put it on Steam um, owned most of it. And I think that's where the split came. Um, and I think, again, it... it, it became like another fundamental battle of you know i don't care if you're telling me i'm going to see part of the profits i that's not the spirit that i don't donated these assets in so i just don't want my work up there yeah i think that certainly sounds fair at least from a from a philosophical standpoint um you want to get business and law and i, I would imagine there's probably something in the terms and use or conditions for 
modding Skyrim that they can probably do whatever the hell they want with your co- or your content. Right. And I think that that's definitely true. And, and like I said, this Which doesn't make it right. But, you know, it's this particular uh, creator. Um, it was it was like I said, it was a fishing mod and it used a pack called FNIS, which is an animations uh, package. And um, the, the creator of the animations package basically posted on the Steam forums for the mod and said, I didn't I don't I don't like this. And and so the guy went ahead and took it down. Um, so I mean that one was pretty innocuous. It wasn't really problematic. But I think on a man to man aspect, that's like that's the right thing to do. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But if it if it had gone somewhere legally, I, it sounds like Valve is pretty comfortable saying that they can do whatever they want with it. Right. And not only what they're comfortable saying, they, they I think you know there are at least one or two reported cases where someone's like I changed my mind and went it down, and Valve was like oh, too late, you signed the contract. Um, again, again, I'm not, I'm not putting, uh, you know, take all this with a grain of salt, but, uh, just because so, so many stories came out of this entire nonsense that it's hard to tell after a certain point what's made up and what's 100% true and, and what's just down to perspective. Like everyone has a different way of telling the story, I think. Boy, it, it moved at the speed of light too. Um, like. I, we we wrote an article for it, and I was going to do a little bit more research because because there was so much stuff where like people are like it's a seventy five twenty five split, and Valve said it, and then other people would say it was Bethesda that said it, and nobody could agree on like where it came from or source it, and so I was going to spend the weekend you know like hashing everything out, and I write I write in the end of this article. I write, it will be very interesting to see how this plays out over the next several weeks. And- <laughs> It, uh, and, it, and, it, and it played out in what, like 72 hours? It could not even go that Most far. Of those people are already dead. It's also got, worth, worth mentioning that, that scenario I'm talking about where the uh, fishing mod guy uh, took down the mod that had someone else's content. Um, most of the news sites jumped on that super, super quick. They, they jumped on it super quick. And, and, really, like and really made him out to be like, oh, look uh, at this like guy. He's, he stole everything. They they really built this guy a new one, and then this guy. This is basically what forced this guy to come out with this story. Um, and a few of those news outlets actually backpedaled a little bit on the way they painted him. I know I know Kotaku definitely backpedaled. Yeah, um, I was gonna say this is something I generally don't pay attention to, but my impression was definitely that he was the bad guy, and you know he yeah. may have been responsible for. Like, I, I I I see. I think we have people like Mike, Michael and Psycho that um that would still be interested in getting this story. So I think we should still publish the article and I think we should approach it. I really very just much distilled like all the nonsense taken out like a week after the fact and I'll just read the write up. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think do that because, and I think it should be a lot like my uh, silent Hills article because that's another thing where it's, Boy, it's, wasn't that a bummer. It's just down to like gods and all this kind of stuff. I don't know how much longer you want to spend on the mods thing, but I mean, I think that pretty much covers it. So like I said, lots of, it wasn't, it did not fail for one reason. It failed for many different reasons, be it, like I said, philosophical or price related or unfairness to players or concerns I, about service. <laughs> like it wasn't it wasn't just like one thing that they missed. If they had missed one thing, like like the price split, they could have come back and been like, OK, we'll change it. And then that would have solved the problem and everybody would have been happy. But there was just so much that, that fired incorrectly here that there's just nothing to salvage. So they yeah. just yeah. they just yeah. had to take the whole thing down. I, I, I 
still wonder where they get the idea. Like the, the idea must have come purely from Steam Workshop because it couldn't have come from. Um, well, yeah, because they've had. Success. It couldn't have come from Nexus. Like I don't, I don't think I go to Nexus and and send and see posts that are like, oh, I would really like to make money from this. They've, they've, I think every once in a while I'll see a post on Nexus that's like, oh, I would kind of like a job at Bethesda, but then that's it. I mean, it, defi- it definitely much. it definitely originates from Valve because they've had a lot of success with this model with their own stuff. But the the difference here is that they're trying to basically come into a, an already established community and say like, "All right, now we're doing this." And as as but, anticipated, nobody liked it. And if they had picked a more minor game, like say Just Cause Two, for example, I think they could have rolled this out with with pretty much just a whisper, and everybody. Well, that's been the thing. Okay Skyrim Skyrim's community is like what five years old now. Yeah, and it's still so. It's like a really old community, which is which is another which is another big part of this. They're they're coming into like a very old community and trying to implement this new plan. And it's like you know, um, fuck off. We don't want you. Um, it does seem like the wrong timing for for a game that's as old as it is and has a modding community that's as established as it is. Hey, quick question: Does anybody still get jobs from making mods? Like, remember when the the, the Counter Strike guys became? Well, I, I'm glad you had that, that that question. I think I think I think the answer is yes. The short answer is yes. I think the long answer is it's actually interesting who gets picked up by who. I like I remember hearing a story about a um, um a modder that did a Skyrim mod. It was a Skyrim mod, and he got hired off of it. I'm like, oh, cool. So Bethesda does hire modders. Um, but I found out that's not true. It was actually Bungie that hired this guy, and it wasn't Bethesda. And that was about. Uh, two years ago, I think, you know, I, I do remember reading this very recently that there's one company and it might be Bethesda. I'm not sure. Don't call me. But there's I definitely read an article where it said, oh, we do look at modders. We look at their modding history. We look at uh, how often they do updates. We look at, you know, the technical details of the mod. And we're like, yeah, this guy knows what they're doing. We'll probably give them a shot. So I think that. That used to be like the Cinderella story before you grew up and realized that making video games was like the most miserable, horrible job in the world. Was yeah. it's like, oh, I, I made a mod and now I work for you know Counter Strike. Awesome. I, I think it's I think it's kind of like um, you know, it sounds it sounds kind of similar to the model that we have for television. Like if if you're if if you're doing a a spec of a TV show for television. Um, like if I were to do a spec for Game of Thrones, it's not with the intent to get hired by Game of Thrones, right? Like I'll write a really good Game of Thrones script and then I'll probably get hired by someone like, I don't know, Black Sails or Turn, like just off the top of my head. Um, just because for some reason, if you're, if you're touching someone else's work, it's kind of like their golden cow. And it's like, I don't want you to face my work. Uh, but another company sees your work and says, oh, this kid really knows what they're doing. I think we want them. And that's what it sounds like it is with kind of modders and, and video games. Like, um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how many people get hired making the mod for that particular video game by that particular company. Like, I'm sure they'll make a really good mod and get hired by someone else. Um, it's worth noting also Gabe um, Newell on his uh, Reddit post where he kind of defended the service before they ultimately decided to pull it. He did mention um, to the effect that, that Valve... Um, he describes it as came about half of Valve came straight out of the mod world, and he says John Cook and Robin Walker made Team Fortress as a Quake mod, uh, Ice Frog made Dota as a Warcraft three mod, uh, Dave Riller and uh, Dario Casali were Doom and Quake mappers, uh, John Guthrie and Steam Bond came to Valve because John Carmack thought they were doing the best Quake C development. 
All of them liberated to do, or all of them were liberated to just do game development once they started getting paid. Working at Waffle House does not help you make a better game. That was. I, I will say that I don't. I don't think this is a topic we should spend too much more time yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, we're but done. If you, if you start monetizing that con- or mod content, are you going to be discouraging people who might make something great but instead choose to make something profitable? Yeah, well, I think that was a big part of it, right? Is like, well, why would I make this big, cool quest when I could right. when I could make more money by making ten shitty pieces of armor and selling them all for yeah, a dollar exactly. a piece? So. And actually, fun fact: the horse genitals guy just got hired at Naughty Dog. Breaking news. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. I'm he, sure he Naughty will Dog be doing the, the genitals for Uncharted Four. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Naughty Dog actually needs the personnel. Hey, I really, of, I really do of, want someone to accurately model Nathan Drake's speak, package. Speaking of losing your big guys for your games, well, that's right. Konami shut down. <laughs> They're gone. <laughs> So this is this is weird. So if you've been following this for a while, um, <laughs> what over, the hell is going on? Over time. <laughs> so first, there were just rumors that Hideo Kojima would be uh, parting ways with with Konami, and um, they made a statement that said, you know, that it did nothing to assuage the fear that he would be leaving, but just said he's definitely going to finish this game he's working on. Um, and then it turned into, I, I think I, I'm, I am having such a hard time keeping up with this. Have they said he's leaving? No, they, there's no confirmation he's leaving. So they still haven't said that. Um, one of his, uh, voice actresses on Phantom Pain, um, not, not or, one of his the voice actress. Yeah, sure. Um, she, posted well, it's not on, a bird. She, she, she's been, and it's important because she's basically been with every game. What does she yeah. do? What does she do the voice for? I don't even know who she is. She's she's Kojima's Don, mistress. She, she's a she. Um, Donna Burke has performed the song, like the main theme song for every single Metal Gear game. So, and I'm sure I think she's had other roles as well. She's basically Kojima's home hero. Well, either way, uh, Donna posted. Well, she's on... like I mean, it's like it's like it's like if David Hayter before David Hayter was fired. <laughs> poor poor David. <laughs> So Donna Burke posts on Twitter and says, uh, basically goes on this kind of, let's say, tirade, saying it's so unfair that they're hiring, that they're firing Kojima. And that's specifically how she phrases it, too. They're firing Kojima. Yeah. Um, and then, it, it, as though they don't want to help that, um, they begin, Konami begins to retroactively go back into downloadable Metal Gear Solid titles and remove Kojima's name and watermark. Uh, for his studio from the games. And then when someone calls them on it, they put them back. <laughs> so has I, Kojima been seen like, in public? Like no one's, no, no one's seen yeah. So I think, I, think, I think the thing, I think the important thing to, to note here, though, because this is kind of going a little bit over old news, and we now have two new big pieces of news that changed the game a little bit. Um, and I guess I'll just go ahead and talk about it a little bit. So when when we discovered Kojima might not be working with um, Konami anymore, right? They promised he would finish Phantom Pain, but they didn't say anything else besides that. And everyone knew that Kojima was working on the next Silent Hill title as well, which is also Konami's property. Um, and, you know, it's a big deal. I, we talked about Silent Hill's PT on the podcast in the past, and it's like a really kind of slick uh, trailer for the game. Um, and it was, you know, we had Norman Reedus from The Walking Dead. He was going to star in it. And we had Guillermo del Toro, 
Um, he was going to, I guess, co-directed or whatever with Kojima. So when we heard Kojima was no longer going to be with, or when we started speculating Kojima was no longer going to be with Konami, we realized that Silent Hills might also be at risk because he was supposed to be doing this game. So it comes out over the weekend. Uh, Del Toro is at uh, the San Francisco Film Institute, I believe, uh, just having an evening with Del Toro. And his fans basically ask him, hey, what's up with Silent Hill? And Del Toro just goes, yep, it's not going to happen. And Norman Reedus also posted over the weekend um, on his Twitter, super bummed about this, was really looking forward to it. Hopefully it'll come back around. Sorry, everyone. And there's a link to Undead Walking's um, report on Silent Hills featuring Norman Reedus canceled. So it's basically confirmed at this point. It's basically confirmed. And I think, and then Konami, before this all happens, Konami, it's like we're going to take down the PT trailer from um, our online stores. So no one's going to be able to access that anymore in four days' time. Actually, by the time this podcast drops, you will no longer be able to download PT. So sorry about that. Um, it's kind of like if you went into work on a Friday and a coworker like had the sniffles, and then on Monday he was in an iron lung. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, it's 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 a bummer that Silent Hill is no longer going to happen because it's definitely the most promising Silent Hill I think since two, honestly. Um, but that's not the big story here. The big story is not that Silent Hill was canceled. The big story is, as Jarrett pointed out. Uh, Konami only really had two video games on its development slate, and those two games were Silent Hills and The Phantom Pain. Um, it doesn't look like they have anything else that's really coming out. But then another bombshell hits shortly after the Silent Hill thing, and Konami has voluntarily delisted itself from the New York Stock Exchange. Um, Konami's own financial report shows their digital entertainment arm, the one responsible for producing video game software, saw a 5.1% decline in their third quarter report. Meanwhile, their gambling division saw considerable gains with their pachinko slot machines going a whopping 99.6%. So Konami is still on London and Tokyo stock exchanges. Konami uh, took itself off of the NYSE, and that makes it look like there are much, much bigger things going on than Kojima leaving the company. You know, I haven't had time to look into it, but I, you, you did mention like Pachinko was a big thing for them. They've got so many businesses in Japan. I wonder if they're not just thinking that maybe video games aren't the place to be anymore. I was going to say, I think, I think we spent so much time worrying and wondering, like, is Hideo Kojima going to go away? We never, we never thought to ask, is everyone going to go away with him? <laughs> Because it really seems like if, if Silent Hills isn't happening, they would have to announce something at E3 this year, or they literally have nothing, period. Like, they have they have nothing. There's nothing well, that they're... Michael's right, and they just make too much money for their Japanese-only businesses. There's no point. But, let's see, I think... Well, I, think I mean... Well, the, here's the problem. The problem with all of this, and the reason why... Like, I think the reason why we worried more about Kojima than whether or not Konami's still going to exist from a video game company is because Konami has been so fucking opaque about it. Like, they haven't really done anything to clarify anything at all. They haven't let anyone know what's going on. Insiders at Konami have been tight-lipped. We have situations like Donna Burke, where Donna will go ahead and say, oh, Kojima's fired, and then she's forced to backtrack for whatever reason. Something spooks her, and she, you know, takes down all her tweets, whatever. And it's just like, you know, Konami's not letting anyone know anything. So all we have to go off of is speculation. Okay, well, let me ask this. Would anybody say that Japan still has their finger on the pulse of what gamers want. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, yeah. occasionally they do it by accident. I, I, I you <laughs> have right now. You have what? You have Nintendo and you have From Software, and that's about it. 
Yeah. And, you know, from from makes the, from the Nintendo both basically make the same game over and over, and those games are hits. Um, I, you know, I'm not I'm not deriding them, but I think I think they lost they lost their touch as I, you know, I think the super bummer is when Nippon Ichi started going downhill as a as a company because Nippon Ichi was making something really special in terms of video games, and now they're just like every other Japanese company where they just want to kind of be a content mill and just push out the next crappy lolis with big eyes games and say, oh, you better like this video game. Um, yeah, I think I think Japan's just kind of like they lost their spirit. And I think I think nothing illustrates that more. Uh, what you're saying, Michael, about the pulse. I think no one illustrates that more than Square Enix does. Square Enix is All right. Awesome... They don't have the good sense to stop. Well, no, because Square Enix is actually a pretty awesome publisher, and we've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, they published the new Tomb Raider. They published um, uh, Sleeping Dogs. They published Deus Ex. They published uh, Life is Strange. So they've actually got you know I would say the range for the games they put out are are decent to great depending on your position on them. Like I know not everyone here loves all of those games that I just listed, but uh, at their core they're pretty solid games, and I think they do pretty well in terms at least critically they do pretty well. And on the market, Tomb Raider has done extraordinarily well. Um, and, you know, Square Enix comes out with their internal reports and they're like, oh, we're disappointed in our publishing arm. We don't think these Western games are doing any good. And you look at these reports and you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? That makes no fucking sense because these games are doing great from our standpoint. Then they it seems like of- they, they publish good games to develop their shitty internal <laughs> games. <laughs> and, that's the, and that's the thing. It's kind of like Doug- Howard Hughes where they've got, you know, the tools to supply the fact that they really want to make aircrafts, but the aircrafts are crappy. Well, and Doug beat me to the punch because the games that they're they're developing um, in Japan are just like kind of the shittiest things that you've ever played. I, you have Bravely Default. Bravely Default was good. Um, other than that, I can't name something that I thoroughly enjoy coming out of Square Enix. Um, you know, well, I wonder out, if it's the case because in developing in, in Japan, there are a lot of publishers who publish games that we never see here in the States because they're so Japanese, like there would just never be a market for them. So I wonder if maybe Konami is looking to maybe scale back their international market and just focus on their, their, uh, you know, Japanese market. But you said, know, I honestly don't know what, what they, they do specifically to Japan. See, and, and I think, I think that's, uh, you know, I think Konami's in a weird place where their games have only ever appealed to the Western market. They have Contra, they have Silent Hill, they have Metal Gear, uh, they have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, and they have Suikoden. And Suikoden's the only thing that could po- have possibly also appealed to their Asian markets. Um, oh, Metal, Metal Gear Solid has a plenty big Japanese fan base as well. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying the Japanese fan base is not existent for these other games. I'm saying that they have a bigger audience out in the West. Um, and I, you know, I don't, I don't think know it gets numbers, much but yeah, I would say that seems fair. Like Metal Gear Solid always seems to have appealed to to American sensibilities somewhere, even though it's got some kind of lingering weird Japaneseness to it. Uh, Castlevania is another one that I left off the list, but Castlevania is another one. Um, like I like Metroidvanias. I don't think they do as well in Japan as they do in the West. Um, and I, you know, it's it's it's. Um, so it's really a head scratcher. It's like you know, these are Konami over the years has done everything they could to drive their original IPs into the ground, um, <laughs> yeah. and you know, Metal Gear was basically the only thing they had left. Like let's be honest, Metal Gear was basically the only thing 
Uh, Silent Hill was another one that was driven into the ground, but Silent Hills did look promising. Like Kojima was their golden boy. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know what their puck they're doing. I wonder if the, maybe just the markets are too, too far apart these days. Because what appeals to a Japanese, I mean, originally, you know, we all fell in love with Japanese games made for, you know, Japanese consumers. But now, like, the, the two, like, a Japanese game and a Western game are going to be so far apart that, like, I, I don't play Japanese games anymore, or very rarely, because I don't, I don't know what the fuck is going on. And, like, I lived in Japan. I still don't know what the appeal is to most of the garbage they put out. I, I think, you know, I, I don't know that it's, um... That's the culture difference, I think. Well, it, it's, a, it's a culture difference in that I think the Japanese... Their choices uh, in entertainment are... Like, what, what appeals to them is becoming very distant from what appeals to us. I, I, think, I think what it is, I think it's a rigidness, and I think it's a refusal to kind of evolve. Um, I think, I think that's, those are the main problems there. And, you know, I think... I think and look, but if I think all popular in Japan right now, it's still just... It's very similar to what they've been doing for years and years so yeah they probably and I, have this I, very safe japanese market where they they don't have to do a lot of new stuff they but, don't, that, but then but then that's, the, that's the thing right i, I think that's, the western market we're demanding new stuff we want yeah. them to do better or do well, no i i think what it is i think i think i think you know that's more of an industry by industry thing than a culture thing because i think here in in western like i think all cultures are capable of finding one market that really works for them and just squeezing the life out of that market. Oh yeah, certainly. And you know, I think in Western markets right now, or especially in the American market, um, you know, for us that's movies. Like our movies have stagnated. All we want to do is the is the big event superhero movies in terms of what we release in theaters. I think meanwhile other other artistic areas have shown more growth. I think we've seen more growth in music, I think we see more growth in video games. We see more growth in um, in television and comic books. But I think you know, you know, I think what keeps video games fresh and why West, the West, at least to us, has overtaken Japan, is just because video games have shown a will to kind of push themselves and and try new things. And look, video games do the same thing. Like video games developed by the Western market, I groan when I see another fucking a cover system in a video game. It's like, why is this? Why why am I seeing a bunch of concrete blocks on this floor? I'm going to have to. You know, so so we do do some of the same thing, but I think I do think the West does keep pushing itself to evolve. Where I think Japan has gotten stuck in kind of like this late '90s, early 2000s, and refused to really push past that. Um, uh, yeah, and I think that's kind of like the core issue. There. I think I think they just grown stale, but I feel like there's something uh, culturally where that familiar kind of oh. I like this particular kind of genre. I like this kind of gameplay. I want to play that. I think, you know, for Japan, I do think, I think, do think for Japan, it's like that, that kind of safe and familiar thing that they want to try. Um, you know, while in the West, we're, at least in terms of a video game market, we're pushed to challenge ourselves a little more. Um, maybe, it's, so. maybe it speaks to taste, but the other thing that you'll notice is when, when Japanese games do their best impressions of American games, a lot of times it turns out really good um nobody played it but dragon's dogma is an excellent impression of skyrim um xenoblade well, xenoblade chronicles lifts a lot of stuff from western mmos and uh and i think that well, and then you, to its and, advantage and, and, a lot. and in playing bloodborne i could tell you that um they're huge west moves at that company 
Like mm-hmm. I could tell, like left and right, it just feels like a Western RPG. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you name a whole yeah. lot of games that have copied like a Japanese mentality and have done well? Uh, Western games, that is. I mean, maybe way back in the day. I, I think that I think that any uh, I think any Metroidvania can can take that credit or that inspiration. Like I think that's definitely a mm-hmm. model that was perfected in Japan, yeah, um, and, and emulated here. But um, I don't know. Maybe in a mocking sense. I like I, I like I like uh, what Eat Lead did with Sephiroth. I mean, our, RPGs <laughs> are RPGs are just so fu- like like. You wouldn't you wouldn't dream in nineteen you know ninety eight of buying an RPG made in the United States. You you bought a Japanese one. Well, there's a reason you play you don't play like a J shooter or a W shooter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, well, there's, there, actually, I think you just named like the one genre. Um, not the Westville copy exclusively from Japan, and that's that's the shmup and the bullet hells. Oh, um, I can't even believe I didn't say this. Uh, fighting games. Yeah, fighting games. Yeah, fighting games are still Absolutely. very much, very much a Japanese thing. I think maybe we can't say rhythm games because we have the guitar heroes and rock bands and stuff like that. But obviously, like Dance Dance Revolution and that kind of stuff is also. Uh, I think I think it's funny because the Japanese don't have rhythm. <laughs> I, but the Japanese do love rhythm games. Oh, do they? So um, let's let's do this before we. Um, I want to I want to play a, an exciting game really quick, but before we do, I felt um, I felt wronged when the with the way I was treated when I did not describe Donna Burke as Hideo Kojima's main girl. So I looked her up. She has only worked on Peace Walker and The Phantom Pain. So I I rescind her I status wait. as main no. girl. Yep, no. she has not worked on any Kojima game. That's not true. It is true. I looked it up. It's not true. I looked it up. I'll, okay, so I'm the gonna, Snake I'm Eater gonna, song is Cynthia Harrell. I can't think of any I'm other. Gonna, I'm gonna fact check your fucking fact checking. Hold on. She is, um, she is actually somewhat prolific. Well, not even really, but she did have a couple roles in the Silent Hill series long before Kojima had anything to do with it. So she's probably been kicking around with with uh, Konami for a while or Konami for a while. But, um, but yeah, Peace Walker and Phantom Pain. So. So there you go. Wild J fact checks me on my fact check. Um, let's play. Let's play an exciting new game. Are you guys ready? Okay. Here, here we go. Exciting new game. Economy, and this is totally speculation. They're up for sale. It turns out they're just they're they're shutting it down and they're taking all their IPs and they're selling them. I'm gonna list off. A we co- already uh, they I'm, shut down. I'm gonna list off their IP. You tell me who gets it. Ready? Here we go. Castlevania. Who gets it? EA. Yeah. Nintendo. Nintendo e- gets it. I, sorry, EA got it first. Uh, no, I said Nintendo. I, I think Jay's news. right. That's a better choice, but I've already made my... Uh, made I, my I can't imagine a scenario where Nintendo buys anything. Um, <laughs> Silent Hill, who gets it? Oh my god. Um, wait, Visceral. Visceral got Silent Hill. Ooh, that's a that's a good one. Um, I think Visceral is owned by EA, so EA gets uh, Silent <laughs> Hill. Uh, let's see. Metal Gear, who gets it? Yeah, it, it would have to stay with a Japanese company, wouldn't it? No, what? No, because wouldn't it stay with Kojima? Does wouldn't you think Why he would come with the there? package? Maybe Sony. Ooh. You're the Rockstar. Yeah, there you go. Okay, Rockstar got Metal Gear. Great job, Rockstar. <laughs> uh, Sui Koden. Oh man, you can have it. 
Nipanichi. Nipanichi. I, I, think, I think Nipanichi could take that. That would, that would, that would make sense. Um, Dance to Dance Revolution. Oh, Activision. That's Activision. easy. Yeah, there you go. Uh, JC, title. title. Title gets it. Title gets Dance to Dance Revolution. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Who gets it? Uh, Nick, Nickelodeon. And I think Activision already, or, or Nickelodeon or somebody, there, there's already somebody who has rights to it in the U.S. as well. Um, I think that's every... Don't swim wouldn't be bad. All right, here's here's the loser's bracket. Who gets Zone of the Enders? Well, Zone of the Enders is not... A, wait, I, oh, my God. We're going to get so much hate mail for saying Zone of the Enders is in the loser's bracket. Well, just, you realize that, right? It hasn't a, happened yet. It's just a dead IP, like... Oh wait, there was one for the 360. Well, that just that just emphasizes my point uh, because I didn't um, know. Hold on. Okay, uh, so I think I think Bandai gets only the unders. All right. Yeah. Ooh, that's actually really good. God, we did a great job with this imaginary, <laughs> uh, this, this this imaginary uh, consolidation here. So great, Contra. great work, everybody. Did I not say Contra? Who gets Contra? Angry Birds mm. people. <laughs> <laughs> Rovio, <laughs> Rovio gets contra. <laughs> you flick the you flick the contra guys at people. Yeah, that's just a given. Perfect. Everybody knows that. Uh, you could you could give contra to, to Capcom. Yeah, I mean, I to be honest, if you just asked me on the spot who owns contra, I might have just said that by reaction. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because it's the same thing where I haven't seen a good Contra game in so long that I just would assume that it's Capcom's because they like to do that. Um, wait, Best they... of all, who gets Final Fantasy? Oh, shit. I didn't realize this belonged to Con- uh, Konami. Uh, who gets Who gets Sunset Riders? What Sunset Riders? I don't know what you that is. You guys don't know Sunset Riders? It's a top-down uh, cowboy shooter. Hmm, or, or actually, really. I think it was a side-scroller. Um, well, it's or, Cowboys, or, or maybe it's like just a do mix. Rockstar again. All right. Well, if nobody knows Sunset yeah. Riders, who gets Lethal Enforcers? Oh, oh, I want it. <laughs> okay, Michael gets Lethal Enforcers. Who, Fantastic. Who gets Bucky O'Hare? Ooh, uh, oh, who gets Bucky O'Hare? Oh, that actually uh, makes me super nostalgic. All um, right, Michael can have that too. Then who, who did Braid? Uh, yeah. Okay, Jonathan Blow gets to <laughs> gets to make a Bucky O'Hare game. <laughs> I can't think of a better use of Jonathan Blow. <laughs> God, why don't you have him direct Fuller House while he's at it? <laughs> All right, that's literally, there's nothing left that is worth, oh wait, Frogger. Oh, I'll give it to Ubisoft. I actually think, it, oh wait, oh, oh. Atari doesn't own Frogger anymore, do they? What about that frog math game? I don't know. Oh, Frog Fractions? <laughs> yeah, they can't Frogger. Yeah, okay, I mean, that's Frogger seems, Fractions. That seems reasonable. I said Ubisoft. I want to see a very broken Frogger. Oh, yeah, there you go. Just a little busted-ass Frogger that doesn't run. All right, <laughs> before, we, before, we, uh, before we finish for the week, let's talk about two games at least. Um, Jay, I know that you played Assassin's Creed China. I did. Um, and I know that you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, seem, I seem to recall you enjoying it. Do you want to talk about your... Well, uh, no one responded to me this time in in the chat, and I was. It's because like, no one cares to... anymore. Like it's Assassin's Creed. <laughs> Who fucking? We all knew it'd be shitty. I mean, you may, you may as well. That's have how been... I felt when I was playing it. Like, who cares? Like, I don't. I feel like the people that worked on the game didn't care. 
It was like I, I feel, see if they I, if they're having to phone it in, then what what's in there for us? If you ate a poop and then got on the chat and was like, "This poop is awful," nobody would. Well, actually, I would probably be more reactive to that than <laughs> actually. Actually, we forgot to talk about we forgot to talk about Mountain Dew Sangria Blast. So if you uh, want to talk about that instead of a session. shit, has anybody else has anybody else had Mountain Dew Sangria Blast? No, no, it's new and it's new and you well, it's might, not new. You might ask like, yourself, uh, you might ask yourself, what is sangrita? And the no one knows. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> is it really sangrita? Sangrita, it's sangrita. yeah, sangrita. As in Rita Repulsa. I think they were wary to put sangria on it because it's a known alcoholic beverage, and so it would be like if they had fuzzy navel flavored Mountain Dew, like. Or gin and tonic Mountain Dew, <laughs> like you know, those kind of sound good. Actually, yeah, I'd, I'd probably not the gin and tonic one. But. So I don't know about you, but my scent, my my sangrita, um, it didn't really taste like anything. It kind of tasted like nothing. It was very it felt acidic. Like, it felt like it, it's very it's very acidic. There's like this rusty kind of aftertaste, and I could spend hours and hours kind of drinking this sangrita and getting nothing from the experience because it was so bland. I'm um, <laughs> I'm very forgiving of throwaway Mountain Dew flavors. Like I'm very forgiving. There's only there's only like one or two that I take great issue with, and uh, I think that this is one that I would not purchase again. Or I, I, maybe yeah, I think I think drink. I think my my feelings on Mountain Dew are exactly the same. Like this, they they have a lot of throwaway Mountain Dew titles, um, and I don't think I would drink this particular Mountain Dew again if given the chance. Um, oh, I see what I see what you did. There. <laughs> I see what you did. Uh, this this Mountain Dew, it feels like they cared a lot more about this Mountain Dew's color palette than they cared about making the Mountain Dew taste good. And they got it right. Like the Mountain Dew was red. It looked exactly the way that it was supposed to look. Yeah, I mean, I felt very much like I was in the location the Mountain Dew was trying to inspire. It was just the functional aesthetics. Maybe. Well, this isn't even like their normal throwaway. This is just they decided to bottle their Taco Bell exclusive flavors. Well, yeah. yeah, and that's kind of the that's kind of the thing, right? Like, like, like we were supposed to get this this package as part of something else, but those Taco Bell's uh, food ended up tasting so shitty that they had to do something to apologize to everyone that bought their Taco Bell. So they gave they give us these uh, this, this shitty Mountain Dew flavor instead. Uh, the people that bought the Taco Bell did get the Mountain Dew for free, but uh, you know it went out <laughs> to the market and they asked some more people. <laughs> Give me my not. damn... This is getting very convoluted. <laughs> what the hell were we talking about? They actually, they delayed the Mountain Dew so they could fix another Mountain Dew that they fucked up. See, not only that, but this Mountain Dew is the first is the first in a trilogy of Mountain Dews that they're releasing. Um, so I'm not... And, and, you know, at first I thought, okay, if they really take their time to balance the flavors in the Mountain Dew and really make the flavors pop... Uh, the Mountain Dews could be pretty good because this was a functional Mountain Dew. Like it's definitely like a soda, right? It's definitely it's definitely a soda. It's you can carbonated. Drink. It's red. It's, they got half of it. That's half of what they had to do. <laughs> I have to say, I didn't I didn't really like the prequel Mountain Dew flavors. <laughs> so so but so it's like okay, if they spend a lot more time on the next two Mountain Dews, those those next two Mountain Dews might actually taste good. But I found out those next two Mountain Dews are also due out this year. Due um, out. Yeah. Which developer do you want to buy Mountain Dew? Uh, okay. Microsoft should probably have it. <laughs> Microsoft's not bad. Um, when I think of yeah. Mountain Dew, I think of Xbox. Like they're just 
Yeah, Are we still they talking about soda. If we're gonna, if we're gonna sell Mountain, like Sony's not gonna have. Sony wants like Picari sweat or some other garbage. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! I don't think I don't think Sony fine would do, beverage. I don't think Sony would do a better job with Mountain Dew than uh, than Mountain Dew's currently doing with Mountain Dew. Honestly, um, yeah, I like I don't know what, is it, what else to say about Mountain Dew. Like they really just phoned this Mountain Dew in. I, I so 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 Lucia was saying something. <laughs> why are we still talking about this you know actually just quick side note i tried the i tried the bacon oh, yes, cheddar please, let's diverge a little bit i tried the bacon cheddar mac and cheese lays i taste the bacon i taste the cheddar i don't taste the mac because the, i don't even think you, you yeah, can't there's do that. No a mac i don't think you yeah. could do that pasta flavor but i noticed that i didn't really want to eat that many of them and thinking yeah. about it it would be if i paired that with the mountain dew sangrita i could probably like that's a diet right there. Because <laughs> I just I just eat like a quarter of it and be like, well, I don't want any more of this. Yeah. Yeah. Done That's right. Done All done. right. So so um. Uh, so Lucia Lucia was saying something about 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 Ubisoft using a very kind of save the cat type formula for their video games now, and you know at the time it was just kind of a, a throwaway uh, response to what I was talking about with Chronicles China. But I'm I'm sitting there thinking about it today, and I'm like, you know what? I think he's right because look, Xiao Zhan is the name of the assassin, and we've seen her before in the Ember short film that was released. Um, and you know, the whole story that Xiao like Xiao Zhan really wants a fucking box. Like like she, this would just make Xiao Zhan's day. Like she's like, I need this box. I need to get this box back. Where's the box? She kills a bunch of people for the box. A bunch of people die for Xiao Zhan's box. Um, which, if you ask me. Uh, it makes you go through a little too much trouble to get to an Asian woman's box. She is not worth it. Um, but that's literally all she wants. Like they never tell you what the box is. It's it's like a complete MacGuffin. It's like, it's like, it's, this is literally what Hitchcock invented. It's like MacGuffin is literally nothing at the end of the story. You get to uh, the final Templar and he's like, Oh, I shook the box away. And Xiao Jin's like, eh, whatever. And it's all she wanted for the whole fucking game. Um, so, you know, since Assassin's Creed are masters of storytelling, they know that the, that the, um, that the main thing to do in terms of telling a story is you tell, don't show. Uh, so, so Xiao Zhan is like on a quest for vengeance and all she I can think, think you, about. By is, the way, I think you got that backwards. You've done no. that before. <laughs> that, you, I, do, you want... I do it. I do it intentionally. It's, it's, it's intentional. Oh, uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, you can't, you can't like study storytelling for five years and then no, you know, not no show, don't tell. Um, but Ubisoft does tell, don't show. So, I, you know, Xiao Zhen, all she can think about is revenge. She wants revenge and she wants her box. And those are the only two things she wants. Then at the end of the story, she tells us that, oh, I was so obsessed with revenge and with this box, I didn't realize what was really important. And so from now on, I am no, no longer going to be obsessed with revenge. And it just tells us that Xiao Zhen has changed, right? What, what um, was important? So it's Love, very, it's uh, freedom. Freedom. Other kinds of boxes? The magic inside her. Actually, I have it right here, verbatim. Um, hey, cats. She says, Ooh, she says, don't worry yourself, master. Uh, you had to die for China to have hope again. I started this journey for vengeance, but I've understood now that it is pointless. I have found a better goal to pursue. Um, yeah, and that's her decision. And then she's like, from now on, China's going to be free, and there's going to be freedom for all people in China. So we know how well that worked out. I recall that anyway. working out pretty well. <laughs> maybe, maybe she's just going to, maybe what she meant is like, 
I'm going to open a subway now. So, so, <laughs> but you know, here's the thing, like, like, like Shao Jun's story is basically every single assassin story uh, distilled since, well, since Ezio, really, because Connor had the same story. I feel like Connor and Ezio were told in at least different kinds of ways, but after after your do after your homeboy Patrice left, and after um, uh, you know some of the other Assassin's Creed team left, they just started telling the same exact story of an assassin obsessed with one thing, and then at the very end of it, he learns his lesson. I'm like, oh, I made a mistake. Uh, I won't make that mistake again, and it's the same exact story every time. So. I think Lucio's right. I think they have this formula in a document somewhere. And they're like, this is exactly how every single Assassin's Creed story goes, because that's good storytelling, breaking this down to this one mathematic formula. And this is the story everyone has to follow. And they gave it to whoever wrote the story for Chronicles China. And they're like, this is what we want you to follow. We don't want you to diverge from it. And uh, that's how we ended up with that game. And it's just like, it's just, just nothing to it at all. Um, Maybe just a, another little last side note on it, too, is there's nothing to it, and there seems to be nothing of it either. Like, that game came out with the biggest whisper, and it's just, I, I you're the only person I know who's played it. Like, I don't know anybody else who's even gone near it. Or, or... I, uh, it's, 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 so, it's so fucking bland. It's like, um, God, I... It's like Chris Picks. I... It's like it's like it's like Sangrita Mountain Dew. It's like Sangrita Mountain Dew. <laughs> it's 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 got like it's got it's got an intriguing premise, and they do nothing with it. A delicious um, red wine. Because when I think Mountain Dew, I'm like, God, I wish this tasted like red wine. It and it it, it is a very pretty red. Like the, I I read I read the developer the developer blogs over uh, Assassin's Creed, and all they can talk about is how their backgrounds look so when all when all a developer can look at talk about is how pretty their backgrounds is then the game is really into trouble um box contain marcellus wallace's soul (laughs) for the record i was really scared of spilling sangrita on me because it looks like it would stain super hard (laughs) like i was super careful what 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 the box has sangrita what happened to mountain dew whiteout it's uh i've seen it here and there um periodically we, we I, like i i feel like i like i'm hoping this is just the summer thing like they're releasing livewire and sangrita instead of whiteout because i actually like whiteout and i would actually play whiteout instead of chronicles china i when i went to the store today and saw <laughs> the sangrita they had that and voltage and those are the only two. Oh god voltage is vile i haven't seen livewire yet aside from in, in like 12 the, the new new livewire tastes a lot like bubblegum it doesn't taste like the orangey citrus they used to have. Um, a new live wire? This batch. Someone fell in the batch and ruined it. Yeah. A lot like how they fell in the batch of Assassin's Creed and ruined that. <laughs> All right. Before, we've, been, we've been going a while. Before we go, let's talk about Chroma Squad real quick. All right. We've talked about so many bad things like Skyrim mods and Silent Hills and um, that other game you played, whatever it was called. Sang- Sangrita Mountain Dew. Oh, yeah, me- Mountain Dew. <laughs> <clears throat> so let me introduce you to the Coca-Cola of games, Chroma Squad, which is a, uh, a Sentai Studio simulation tactical RPG. I think that's everything. Um it plays. So, it sounds. Uh, it sounds like you're having a super good time with it. I am. It's. It's a ton of fun. Um, it's kind of similar to like Final Fantasy Tactics or um, Fire Emblem. You know that that type of tactical RPG. When they. It's, when it's they the game. It's the, is the gameplay really that detailed in depth? 
the the battles are relatively there's a couple little there's a couple little minor things that bug me about it like and i shouldn't start by nitpicking i should talk about all the awesome things this game does yeah right let's instead. talk about awesome things because so, i think i think part of it is i know i'm a big fan of sentai and i'm actually a big fan of um of their last game knights of pen and paper so by the way, for me. let's start. Let's start with Sentai, which is if you're not familiar with it, because a lot of I wasn't when I first heard about it. Um, it's essentially the the type of show that Power Rangers was. So these costumed spandex wearing you know heroes uh, that are kind of like r- robotic appearing or or, or cyborgish in nature. Um, you know they do battles. So like there were others back in the day. Like we had big bad Beetleborgs and VR Troopers and. I don't know if there's one that I missed, but uh, oh, oh, uh, Masked Rider. The, the, the Knights of so Tir Nog Nog. Knights of Tir Nog. That was one. <laughs> so. Now, this isn't Hente, right? That, that's something else. Right. No, that's something right. else. That's why I make the clarification. So, the game starts with what I think is a really clever. I mean, I'm a big fan of both, but. It, it starts with a really, uh, a really clever tutorial where. Um, so, first of all, everything is. Every fight, every encounter is like half real, half not. Um, so you're you're fighting like cast members that you have hired to dress, you know, like like enemies. So it's all very ground in reality. But at the same time, there's a lot of things like you can teleport and monsters appear who you didn't plan to have there who, you know, are definitely not human. So just little things like that. Um but basically, the tutorial opens up, and you are being instructed in your uh, combat by a overbearing director. Um, and so he's sitting in the chair, shouting at you and telling you like what to do and how to punch and kick. And it's a really clever way to uh, tell the beginning of the story, which is these five actors are sick and tired of this director because he's you know being too pushy and and too overbearing and they think that the show's gone downhill so they you know decide... what that is a clever introduction and that's a much better more, uh, more clever introduction than I really want a box I think it, I think it's really clever um, so they decide we'll we'll break off and we'll start our own studio and so they they leave and they they actually like they, they just straight up walk out after the tutorials over uh, in costume and everything. And uh, one of them, one of the characters has an uncle who they decide to rent a studio from or a warehouse from. And when they get there, they find a giant brain in a in a tube, like covered by a sheet that kind of is reminiscent of Zordon. If Zordon was just a brain and he's named Cerebro and the director follows you back to this warehouse to get the costumes back. But when he gets there, he sees Cerebro and he begins plotting to steal that from you instead because it looks, you know, it looks pretty valuable. Um, so that's that's your layout. Which, that's is, your... which is what directors do. Yeah, he's a very... When we, when we don't get any other work, we steal giant brains. He's a very evil director. So, um, so he's a director. <laughs> he's just a director. Uh, so after that, you get to take each of your five characters and basically choose who the actor that will represent them in the game is. And they all look unique. Um, one of them, or, or maybe not one of them, a couple of them are like Kickstarter backers. Uh, one of them is very clearly, uh, Michonne from the walking dead. Um, you know, they don't, they don't call them this, but they're obviously all kind of inspired in their own way. One of them is, one of them is definitely meant to be Mike Tyson, yeah. Um, or Knights, a, a Knights young of, Mike Tyson. Knights of Pen and Paper was very similar. They had like you could um, 
you could choose who you would recruit to kind of be in your RPG part. In fact, it sounds it sounds very similar to Knights of Pen and Paper. Knights of Pen and Paper was the same thing in which it's real, but it's not. Mm-hmm. So you're going on like this quest, and it portrays the quest as as real. Uh, but you know what's kind of happening in guys living room and characters are the same. Like you could hire a blonde uh, debutante who was clearly supposed to be Paris Hilton, but they didn't exclusively say it. Yeah. So combat is broken up by just segments where you're kind of sitting around the studio and you have a set amount of money and every episode you produce will earn you money, but will also uh, you'll lose it with your actor's salaries and um, you know, whatever extra perks you've got. So one thing that's kind of interesting is any upgrade that you make to your studio will generally have a monthly cost associated with it too. So there's an initial purchase and then there's an ongoing purchase that you have to kind of consider. And in, in the standard difficulty, prices and stuff like that aren't a big concern. But if you play the highest difficulty, it matters a lot more. And so like even down to the actors you pick, you'll probably want to make sure that you pick ones who have reasonable salaries. Can, can you change the difficulty yet well no um because it's really important that you so like you can't change the actors later um so right off the bat right at the beginning of the game you're kind of uh you're locking yourself into some choices and so if you were able to change that difficulty afterwards i feel like it wouldn't work the same way um so there's some permanent stuff that you do that uh, and this does feel like a game that you're meant to play a few times i haven't got i haven't finished it yet but I do know that it has multiple endings depending on what choices you make and how you run the studio as you go. Um, you can also potentially wind up in a situation kind of like XCOM where your studio just winds up shutting down because you don't have enough fans. And that doesn't seem even remotely possible at the difficulty level I'm at. Like I would have to fail pretty spectacularly. But again, on, on the hardest difficulty, that is a very real possibility. So you have to worry a lot more about money and about, you know, kind of what you're doing as you go. It seems like by picking the standard difficulty, you're greatly diminishing the challenge in the simulation side of things, but you're pretty much maintaining the challenge in the combat. Um, and I'm just getting to a point where it's becoming, you know, a little harder and I have to think a, a lot more about where I put my guys. I got kind That's of complacent. I got a little complacent early on where I'd just run in and punch everything, but now I'm having to be a lot more careful. I, th- um, I think in um in a tactical RPG though, you kind of want that. Like yeah. You want to be pushed. Um, I think that's I think that's like the one the one uh, criticism I forgot to 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 levy at um Chronicles China. I, I have it in my review, but I don't have it. You know, I didn't say it like it's it's just the difficulty. Nothing ever got harder. Like the difficulty was exactly the same throughout. I think, especially in a tactical RPG, um, I think you want those brain teasers. Like you want to think about how you're going to approach a situation, and you want your powers to pay off. You like you want your skill point investment to pay off in terms of um, getting the enemy. Um, mm-hmm. Unless you're playing Fire Emblem Awakening, in which case you just want to completely overpower everything because that's cool too. I believe that um, the. And after I was gonna say, I think that the curve is is really nice. Like it's very subtle. It doesn't feel like all of a sudden I ran into a fight where I wiped. It just kind of started being this thing where like while I was going, maybe like one of my guys died, and then all of a sudden a few fights later, now two of them died, and then I I was getting a lot more worried about you know what was actually happening. Uh, so I I think I wanted you to go more in depth because you talk in chat a lot about the onset drama that happens. So one of the things that's really cool and really charming about the game is you name all the characters and their names are actually inserted into the dialogue. 
and you also assign them personalities. So basically, they have five slots. There's the assault class, the assist class, the techie class, the leader, and I forget the fifth, the not very interesting class. Um, The what? The black guy. That's the for me. That's the assist class. He's the healer. Um, So you you assign the actor to each of them. That's usually the assault class, isn't it? He looks more like he should be assaulting people, but I i don't know. I just didn't do it. Um, he does morph into a black ranger, so come at me, bros, if that's a problem. Um, the So you name each of them, and then their names are actually used in the dialogue, like when they talk to each other. And, um, and then on top of it, you're able to name the studio, of course. And like at the end of every episode that you do, you'll get tweets sent at you that have your studio's name and stuff like that. Um, and then there's also a whole section for catchphrases and there you can set like when you guys morph into Rangers, what do you say? So like by default, they say like chromatize cause they're chroma squad. <laughs> and so I, I changed it to like, I changed it to buy our powers combined. And, um, you, when they summon the robot, you can choose what they say when they summon the robot, you can choose what the robot's name is. So they, they refer to it as whatever you put in. That's really cool. Um, and, and it really adds kind of a nice like taste of, of immersion there. Um, but anyway, uh, the the way that this kind of plays out is you every every combat scenario is laid out as an episode and they all lead up to a season finale. So at the beginning of each season, you sign a contract that says we're going to do this many episodes. And if our fans drops below this rate, we lose our contract and the studio closes. Um and then you you film the episode, but usually you'll find that something goes wrong, like as you go. Um, so, for example, yeah, this is a documentary on my life. One that I just did there. One of the actresses, her friend, wanted to play the monster uh, for for the episode that we were doing, and her friend just has this like shitty pigeon costume that looks like garbage, <laughs> and. The, the leader of the group, the leader of the squad, and I, I think head of the studio, he's kind of resistant to that idea because he wants to go up and up with quality and stay like as mainstream as possible and not, not affect the audience. And so he kind of doesn't want to have them on. And he gets outvoted. Um, but before the pigeon shows up, some random like red samurai cool looking guy appears. And so you fight him instead. And, and then when the pigeon does show up, you have like this half-assed fight on on a rooftop, and and the leader like punches her too hard, and so she flies away. Um, she can fly, by the way, for some reason. Right, but um, it's just it's stuff like that. There's there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, it's it's I didn't think I would get invested in the story at all, and one of the big reasons is because the game has some pretty major uh, grammatical and translation problems. Yeah, they're not not native English speakers. They're not. They're based in Brazil. But to their credit, um, it it, it kind of... This is totally accidental. Like I don't think they meant to do this. But because it's based on a Japanese TV show, the broken English, when it does happen, a lot of times kind of adds to the charm and... I, I I I very firmly believe that it was not intentional, but it works when no, it it's not when it shouldn't. But it, I I think you know, I, I believe you asked the question in, in in chat whether it should detract from it. But I I feel like there was a day in video games where we wouldn't have cared at all about the translation job. And oh no, God! I mean, I played all I played all of Legend of Dragoon. 
Well, and you played Final Fantasy as well, so... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, you know, Final Fantasy tactics for that matter. And on top of that, I feel like as long as you're not missing, like, key bits of information, then it's fine, you know? Yeah, and actually, it still winds up telling... I'm, I'm kind of getting into a little bit of the onset drama, so, like, this is maybe a little further ahead, but I don't feel like it's super spoilery. I let a guy come in and install some device that's supposed to increase our audience... And ever since then, my leader's been kind of behaving like a dick, and I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's tied to that device, and I'm excited to learn more <laughs> about what exactly that entails. Um, the only other problem, I literally have only one other issue with the game, which is a lot of your attacks... So, on your turn, first of all, I couldn't figure out how to end a turn. Like, if I didn't want to move a character and I just wanted to pass, there's no, like, button to just say, okay, end my turn. What I, what I learned you have to do is there's a little star icon in the corner, and it's the teamwork star. And when you press that, your character basically enters into a mode where they are waiting to interact with someone else. And there's two things you can do with teamwork. One is you can use it, if you put a character in teamwork mode and then walk another character over to them, they can launch them way further than they would be able to walk normally. So they do like a little flip over to a, a farther place. Um, and then... The other thing that you can do is if if you pair up someone next to an enemy and you turn on teamwork and then you bring another character over and hit the enemy, they will both attack simultaneously and, and get a little damage, damage bonus because of it. That sounds, that sounds kind of like the system they have with the scale. A little bit. You can pair. You can uh, you can combo it up all the way up to five, all the way up to everybody. But if all five rangers attack an enemy, it actually pulls a finishing move. Um, nice. w- where you all fly into the sky and like shoot a rainbow down at him and kill him. Um, if you do that, <laughs> if you do that finishing move on a regular enemy, um, first of all, that would be absurd overkill, and second of all, you would actually lose a bunch of audience because <laughs> because you did the finisher at an inappropriate time. So you're, it's it's very much meant to be the last thing that you do. No, that sounds kind of like wrestling, right? Because um, wrestling, no one watches a yeah. wrestling match. You know, no one wants to see the finishers up close. Everyone wants to see, oh, this is the finisher that ends the match. It, it plays off a lot like that. Like, everybody's really concerned about, like, when they should do something to look cool and, and that sort of thing. <laughs> well, that's um, how the, like, Power Rangers episodes were. They didn't just use their superpower to attack yeah. until the very end of the goddamn episode. Yeah. So that's how you end your turn, is you just you just put yourself in teamwork mode, even if you're not planning on doing teamwork. And it it makes sense now that i've been playing for a while but it, it at first i didn't really get that um the other thing that has kind of bugged me is the game is really worried about positioning because you have to position to do your finisher for example mm-hmm. and some of your characters can't move as far as others um and so my issue is a lot of times i'll be setting up a character to do an attack but I'm not sure if the other character that I need is going to be able to move to that point. And in most tactical RPGs, you can undo a move, but not an attack, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's less and less common, though. So, like, let's say, say even just a really simple thing, let's say I have a guy who I'm going to shoot a bow, and right now, if I shoot the bow, it doesn't reach the monster. Well, I can move... But if the bow still doesn't reach, I can't undo that move. I'm just stuck there, and I have to. I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like that's that's more of a common thing these days. Uh, it shouldn't be because it... uh, no, I'm not. I'm not saying it should be. I just I just feel like it's more common these days. I I, um, I wouldn't even I... know necessarily because I don't I don't play. I haven't played a tactical RPG since I guess Fire Emblem. But 
that would be another example where like you can move in Fire Emblem and then immediately call back that move if you're not set up to do what you want to do. Can you can you undo it in in, in uh, Fire Emblem if you the move already made the move? The move, I believe so, but the attack, no. I would need to check it to make sure, but I'm fairly certain that if you move somebody and don't pass your turn, you can just press B and they'll go back to where they were standing originally. Like, I know, I know, I know. The scale, you can still fully reset everything, but yeah. I feel like. I feel like Fire Emblem, there's some kind of restriction. Well, I feel and, like. and the thing is, is in Fire Emblem, it doesn't even really matter that much because it's really clear to me most of the time when I can attack because yeah, that's true. the range isn't that far. You know, like I, I almost always have to be standing next to someone. In, in this game, in Chroma Squad, there's a lot more scenarios where like, I don't know how far this bow shoots and, and stuff can actually get in your way and block your shot. And so that do they, needs to do be... They not- do they not show you the reach of an attack then? They they do, but I, again, I, I can only see it when I'm standing there. So like, I guess I could sit and do the math and be like, if I move five spaces, how many spaces will this move? But even then, like, there's other stuff to consider. Like, what if there's a guy standing in your way or a boulder that you didn't know was going to impede it? Um, it would just be nice to be able to see what's going to happen before committing to making it happen. Um, yeah, it's I a, guess. I it's a know. little thing, but it's uh, it's served as a as a little bit of an irritant. Um, God, I knew I had another question related to movement, but I guess, oh yeah, is there any equipment that will boost their movement speed and all that kind of stuff? Because there is in most tactical games. Yes, um, uh, most equipment has uh, stat increases, and that'll that'll increase movement speed, or it'll increase. Um, critical hit chance, counter rate, so they, they all have a chance to counter when they're hit, um, that kind of stuff. So, like, I have one girl who pretty much will counter anytime someone hits her at this point. So it does sound like it, it sounds like they took a lot um, of cues from the scale. It's it's really deep, and it, and it, for the most part, it works really well. Um, I, I, I'm I'm really having fun with it. It's been a it's been a very pleasant surprise. Well, I'm insanely jealous. <laughs> very, very creative concept. Uh, certainly not a game that you see very often. And and just that mishmash of, like I said, kind of the sim and the tactical RPG. Those are two genres that I didn't even really realize I wanted to come together so badly. I mean, it's very similar to XCOM. Like, it's very close to XCOM with upgrading your base and stuff like that. But um, just the theme and everything is is a little friendlier and... Um, putting in your own catchphrases and stuff like that really adds a, a dynamic to it where I'm a lot more interested in what's going to happen, especially because the characters just work really well. So like there's the techie class. So I put a robot there and now that robot always behaves in a really like techie fashion and it's working great. Like he's the one who he's the one who handles other gadgets and like it, um, it, it has an effect on their class, but it also has an effect on just how they act. So like he knows is, about the cameras and stuff like so that. Just, so just the guess is the techie guy, the blue ranger. He is blue. Ha. There is so not homework. Our leader. Uh, well, you, you, you get to pick their colors. Oh, you pick the colors. Okay. Yeah. So you did your homework. So you, you pick the actor <laughs> and you pick the color. Was the yellow one Asian? Uh, my yellow, dead. my yellow one is black. It's the Michonne girl. It's worked. Mm. It's working. Is, She's is, a girl. It's the it's the pink one, the dude. Uh, no, the pink one is uh the pink. Wait. She's not pink. I didn't have a pink one. She's like oh, she's pink. kind of a purple. You can you can do pink, but I didn't do it. Um, that's my goth chick. 
And then I picked the I picked green for the leader. Green. I picked green for what? the leader. You picked green for the leader. What's wrong with you? Yeah, because I love I love old school. Tommy's Power cooler. Tommy's super cool. Uh, yeah, but the red's always the leader. Yeah, I don't have a and red. When, and when Tommy finally became the leader, he went red. We were already. I was already just skewing so much towards Power Rangers. I figured I should probably do something different. Oh my god, red is always the leader. Yeah, not mine. No, red is always the leader. <laughs> I picked a Kickstarter backer. Jarrett, Jarrett, stay the, with me. I can't. Garrett, I can't. It's the, too late. I'm halfway Garrett, through the Red game. Is always the leader. I can't help you. No, no. Start again. Okay, I'm sorry. Start the game over. The red, the red will be the leader on my next playthrough. Okay. When I go to see the second ending. But the one thing that I've been a little dismayed about is um, I chose the Kickstarter backer for my leader, and I didn't really look at him when I picked him. He's he's uh he's I mean he's a real person so I'll be nice but <laughs> choose your words carefully. <laughs> obviously obviously when Behold Studios made the caricature of him they decided not to like not to kid him you know like as as a person who struggles with weight if you send your picture to someone and say draw and say draw me they will um they will generally draw like a nice version of you. Like if you go into your Xbox avatar and you try to make it fat, the worst you can do is just make it look like kind of tall. And <laughs> this is not the case here. This, this, my, my leader definitely looks like he should just be eating snacks and not being a power ranger. And then it looks like, it looks like he should be at home drowning in sangria blast. He's bulk. Basically. <sighs> He should he should be the bully that is always ruining things for the Rangers. So yeah, I think that I think that pretty much covers well, it. It sounds like a good romp. I'm excited for it to come out to consoles later this year. It hits Steam on Thursday. We don't have an embargo on it, so we're we're fine to talk about it. Like I, we did. I'm I'm actually I'm actually more excited to play Chroma Squad than I am Assassin's Creed Chronicles India. You should be. Which can go eat a dick. You should be. Chroma Squad's gonna be really good. You're gonna. I think you'll like it. It's a lot of fun. And and my experience well, can be. Well, it's like my alley too. Like I love Sentai and I love the tactical RPGs. So. Well, and I, I actually, I actually own. I actually still own a Dino Thunder DVD for some reason. Now we're talking. I didn't. I didn't really hit on it because it's not. It's not super critical. But um, there's a lot of um, emails that you get as you play. And how you reply to those emails is kind of serves as like your choices for how the story plays out. So oh. my old director emailed me and said, hey, you're ripping me off. I'm going to take you to court unless you want to pay me some money. And so I just elected to pay him some money rather than deal with it. And that's oh, that's like having court, motherfucker. that's having ramifications for me now. So but anyway, I think that we are way past time. So let's go ahead and end it here. Um, oh, uh, we didn't get to answer Tycho's second question. All right, we're going to answer Tycho's question as fast as we can. Um, he asked, do you think that EA will be able to ruin Star Wars Battlefront in less than five parsecs? Or do you think that we'll just be able to purchase the fun parts of the game as DLC later on? I think Most people think it's already yes. been ruined. So. Good night, everybody. Yeah, all right, there you go. Michael did it. Yes, the answer is yes. Uh, they'll, they'll be able to, they can ruin it any way they want to. So I'm excited to, to see what they do. So, if you enjoyed this podcast, I would encourage you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. We're at The Enemy Slime on all those services. Go subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, there's more that I'm not thinking of. Do all those things. Do everything. Um, go check us out at EnemySlime.com. Go read a bunch of articles, podcast posts every Wednesday. It's great. It's it's fantastic. It's, so, it really is the best. It really is just it really is just the best. 
So, <laughs> thank you for your support. And uh, I think with that, we are out. Sound. That's it.